Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show, and I'm Paul Winkler, hanging out with Mr. Evan Barnard, Ira Work, today in the studio. Guys, good to have you here. You know why it's so good to have you here? Because you're not alone. <laughs> well, not, not only I'm not alone, but I was like, oh, I, your homework, I That's what I'm thinking. I'm just like I said, I said, I am going to let you guys come up with the show content today. Well, we don't know what to do. Well, the other reality of it is I still went and came up with stuff. <laughs> but I am going to try my best to w refrain and let you, like, run with it because I know that sometimes people would rather hear you guys than me. So, wh so what's going on? You tell me. Well, I had a guy in the office yesterday who said, oh, yeah, I hear you on the radio with Paul. There you go. Yeah. All the time. But, I mean, talking about what's going on in the world of finance, I mean, you know, so there, there were some, several things I sent you guys because I've been looking at mortgages and interest rates and, and looking at that, uh, so, some of the things going on with uh, down payments. I saw something on down payments on mortgages, you know, like the 1% down payments back. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, well, you know, I mean, just thinking about the, I don't know, not so much the housing market, but the the mortgage market and the, our, the article that you sent uh -huh. uh, reminded me, you know, we had some, uh, oh, I don't know, it was probably two or three months ago that we had some mortgage people in our Tuesday meeting and we were oh, re yeah, reviewing yeah, yeah, yeah. some yeah. of the things going on. Yeah. And, and I had asked the question, I said, so are assumable mortgages still a thing or what? And, you know, we kind of talked about it. And then in that article, um, they are starting to make a comeback. Uh, they that, said they're part of the contract. Well, uh, FHA and VA. VA. Yeah, the government backed loans, for lack of a better term, yeah. uh, are assumable. And, uh, you know, so I. I started thinking about that, you know, because yeah, know, I thought that died. I mean, that was <laughs> yeah. my that was my my wife and I was my, and, our first one years and, and years and years ago yeah. that we our very first home. And uh, Jordan bought. and Allie, you know, at some point when he gets out of the Air Force, they're looking to you know sell the home in Florida, move back to Tennessee, as long as we don't honk them off, you know, <laughs> tell them to raise the grandkids <laughs> the wrong way or something. But uh, <laughs> but you know, it's you know, it's. If if rates persisted, and let's just say, you know, they bought their house, I don't know, what, two or three years ago is when they were down there. And, you know, they're on a VA rate that's probably two and a half or three percent, is my guess. Yeah. And let's just say rates stayed at seven for a couple of years till he gets out. Well, they could sell their house for a lot more money if somebody can pounce on a three percent. Well, and, and that's the point. Yeah. But one thing that, uh, you know, because we have a lot of listeners up in Clarksville area and, you know, veterans in the area and so forth, uh -huh. something that either I had forgotten about or never knew in uh -huh. the first place uh -huh. was you can only have the one VA loan at a time, but it doesn't have to be your loan it still counts. So let's say they well, sold. That, that is, that's the interesting. That's part of the reason these guys yeah. don't want to walk away from them. Yeah. They, yeah. Let's say they sold it mm -hmm. and the new purchaser yeah. assumed their VA loan. Well, then Jordan can't get a VA loan up here. Right. Right. You know, I was thinking that just he couldn't have more than two, but it's, 
one person, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's that was the interesting over. part about that yeah. is that so you have a VA loan. Right. I, I was kind of looking like what honor. So so in essence, what's happening is these people have these VA loans, and you can assume. So if you don't know what an assumed loan is, folks, it's it's a good very deal very today. very first thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the very first loan that uh, I, I said my wife and I got, what happened was. I couldn't qualify for a mortgage to save my life. I mean, it was, there was no way. My income was way too low. I was trying to figure out how to get a business going and, and all of that. And I was like, ooh, forget it. So what you had is a loan that you could take over. Somebody owns a piece of property and they got a loan on it. And then you go in and say, hey, I want to buy this property from you. You, if you need to do a down payment, you come up with your own down payment based on whatever they're selling the place for. And then you just take over their loan for the rest of it. Well, in when I when we bought this place, more real estate was so bad, and so was it was so down, and it was so difficult that we just basically took over the loan, and there was no down payment hardly at all. I mean, it was literally just a little closing costs, and that was about it. So it was no big deal. So in essence, it was really a great deal. Well, what happens is that you have this loan, and you might have to come up with a down payment for it you know right now and if this is a va loan this person is va they got this va loan and you're going hey i want to take over your va loan you want to buy it from them they may not want to give it up because then they don't they don't have the ability to go out and get another va loan is is what's going on so it makes it for some people that don't want to do it now there's a company actually doing this and that was what it, what we were just talking about right and talk yeah. more about that evan well they just they they basically work to help help you structure the loan with, you know, the new bank. And, you know, because a lot of the lenders, I mean, think about, you know, a lot of mortgage officers today <laughs> have never done assumable mortgages right. anyway, unless, you know, you're in a Nor are they motivated to do it because yeah. they don't make money. Yeah. And, you know, they don't want to keep servicing a loan that's paying three instead of a new loan that's at six or seven. Um but it's like anything. Um, I mean, a lot of things dealing with the government, there's an entire industry of helping you deal with the government. You <laughs> yeah, know like I mean? the, yeah, as that guy said, well, you know, I, I don't mind hounding people to get uh, what I want. Yeah, but yeah. there has to be. You have to. Right. There has to be yes. an industry to help people deal with the government yeah. because <laughs> the government's difficult to deal yeah. with. Other, other, <laughs> yeah, other exactly. advertisers on the station you know, hey, we'll help you qualify for your right, right. aid and attendance benefit. Hey, we'll help you. I mean, it's just, there's a whole industry just walking through the paperwork and these people, God bless capitalism, you know, they've created uh -huh. a niche sure. and, sure. you know, they're helping out people that need the help. If you're on a FHA or so forth, great. You know, they're, they're providing a service. Well, then that's the issue right now is why this is such a popular thing is you have interest rates have gone up and and now the mortgages are, are a lot higher interest rate and people aren't they're sitting on their homes because they're like, if I sell this home, I give up this interest rate and I don't want to go out and, you know, take on another loan at a much, much higher interest rate. Uh, that's one side of it. But the other side of it is people that are looking at buying homes right. are going, I don't want to buy a home and pay that high interest rate. And you may have somebody that says, heck, you know, I'd like, I wouldn't mind trading down, maybe pay, paying cash for something. And maybe they're, but then you've got the issue even still. And that's what makes this not necessarily a slam dunk is you might have, I think they gave an example. What was it, Evan, that, that, that they had a, 
$300,000 or $400,000 home. It was like a $200,000 loan, and they had to come up with 100 cash. Yeah, they something. had to come up with a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, some people are not going to be able to do that. And what they're trying to do is entice lenders to say, okay, let's let them assume this loan at this really low interest rate and give them a second loan for the down payment. And that's this company that we're talking about here is they're only dealing in four states right now, but it was an IPO. There's a new, it's a brand new company and we'll just see what they do. I may, be, may become popular, but I think that the point here, which is so interesting to me is that we look around at things and it is so easy for us to go, oh my gosh, things are getting so bad. They're so terrible and so, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And yet somebody comes up with a way around, a workaround. Don't you? In any circumstance, I mean, even when interest <laughs> rates were 20% back when, you know, the early 80s, yes. we started to see new types of loans that never yep. existed before. Everything was terms back then. Yeah. You know, you, know, you might have balloon notes. Yeah. I mean, nobody had ever heard of a balloon note. You know, the, it wasn't out there. Adjustable rate mortgages became a thing. That wasn't a thing before that. Uh, you know, so... I think so often what we do is it's so easy to get so negative and try to, you know, predict that the future is going to be terrible. It's going to be bad. It's going to be awful because what we do is we, we look at things through our own lens. Right. And I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't know. Therefore, it's not solvable. <laughs> and you go, no, you know, they're, they're pretty Wisdom creative of crowd. people. Somebody's going to solve it. Well, I, think, you know, so I think that's the really beautiful thing about owning all these different stocks that we own, right, that we recommend. Mm -hmm. um, but also when people are coming to my office, I don't know about you, Evan, but they're nervous. You know, they're nervous on the political climate right now. They're oh, yeah. nervous about who might get back into office. For sure. You know, um, <laughs> of the two leading candidates that we hear about. And, you know, talking about all these different loans that came out, the adjustable loan, the balloon note, the, you know, the, all of these different things that created. And that's what I tell people. It's like, it doesn't really matter who's the president. It doesn't really matter who the vice, uh, not the vice, well, we don't have a vice president. Really. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't really matter who runs the House or who runs the Senate. <laughs> Business hilarious. owners, CEOs, they're going to find a way with what's going on in the economy. They're going to find a way with the laws to create value for shareholders. Yeah. And that's just the bottom line of what we saw with the banking industry. Well, yeah. Now, it did go wild and crazy between 2000 and 2006, and it became like the Wild Wild West, and loans went to people that should never have gotten loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had our financial meltdown. Um, will that happen again? It's possible. It's possible that it can happen again. Yeah. But who knows? But we're still here and we survived the first one, right? right? You know. I mean, I remember, you know, back in 1999, the world was coming to an end. People were worried about getting money out of their portfolios, emptying cash out of their banks, putting it in the bank because there were, the, the ATMs weren't going to work, planes were going to fall from the sky, <laughs> um, you know, gas pumps weren't going to work with credit cards because of the whole computer thing. You know, and we woke up on January 1st, 2001, maybe with a headache, um, <laughs> and <laughs> life just went headache. on. We went, we had breakfast, we used our credit card, the gas pumps worked, and life was just normal. Okay, so have you guys, you know, you were talking about, you know, how we get into the tizzy like that. And, and uh, did you ever see, you guys seen the video out there on YouTube? It was a TED Talk. Birds aren't real. So I was this, think this I whole, it was, so it was this whole thing, you know, how it's kind of like Solomon, right? 
uh, you know, says, you know, a bird is going to go and tell your story to the king. You better watch what you say and all that. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? You know, watch what you say because you don't know what's going to happen. So this this guy starts this uh, conspiracy kind of thing that birds are not real. That the government actually set up this program where they poisoned all the birds and all the birds are dead. And now all the birds that you see around there are all robots. They have uh, they they have video camera eyes and and audio recording and the reason they they sit on telephone lines is that they're recharging. <laughs> I, like I mean, that. it's really really this, funny. This sounds like an Incredibles episode. Oh, it is really <laughs> it is really really funny. So you go watch this TED talk and this guy, but he's making a point. And you see a lot of people go, that is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. But he does this thing, and he's in character for quite a long time, uh -huh. telling people that this is that birds aren't real. And he's like, "Have you ever seen a baby pigeon? <laughs> you know, you've never seen a baby pigeon. You know, you know." And he's talking about you know the bird droppings, all the you know that's that's liquid uh, liquid tracking devices. Uh, that, that's what those bird droppings are on your car. You know, how many of you haven't? So it, it's really silly and funny, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and Leviticus is probably watching. He's probably watching it. Uh, but, you know, so so basically what happens is he goes, you have no idea how many people actually believed this. And, you know, how and he talked about how sometimes what happens is we get so negative and we start to believe just about anything. But it brings us in fellowship with each other because there are other people that believe the neg negativity. But there are so many things out there about finance in the financial world that simply are not true but are just believe and they're more believable than birds aren't real i know it's it's not quite that foolish but it just shows how easy it is to dupe people but in and so often we look for things that line up with what we already believe and we call it confirmation bias right right and if we have this really negative view about what's going on and how terrible things are, how bad things are, are and how much worse they're going to get, what we have a tendency to do is look for things that line up with that so that it doesn't seem implausible that things are as bad as we think they are, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. Well, a friend of mine has a saying. He says it's better to be optimistic because pessimists always get it wrong. Uh, well, you know, I think that's a really good point. It was like, Kevin, you gave me that book. Uh, optimism. Rational optimism. Is, or, is, yeah, yeah, rational optimism, yeah. And, and it was the idea that optimism is a more rational way of looking at things simply just because things do. Find, we, we, life does find a way. We do figure out how to get through circumstances no matter how bad. And then we also live in a world where that is rewarded, finding solutions to problems. And... Um, you know, so hence, I think that the whole mortgage thing, you know, just to, to bring it back to that, I think it's going to be interesting to see if this assumable, assumable thing starts to take off. I think especially if you have now interest rates aren't like tremendously high compared to historical norms. Right. Right now, it's not like obscenely high. It was just obscenely low a couple of years ago. It was pleasantly low, Paul. It was pleasantly low. Obscenely low. <laughs> <laughs> we, we I stand, I stand corrected. Rates, yeah. I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's not, uh, 
outlandishly uh, right. uh, high by any stretch of the imagination. Right. No, no but the, no, well, let's really look at that though from a perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, for those of us who can remember, you know, ten percent interest rates and eleven and nine and sure. so forth. I've seen, yes, they're too well. Looking at seven percent, that still seems low. Right. It's right. 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 the yes. historical uh-huh. rate of mortgage interest is about five percent. So it's about right, maybe a little bit higher than the norm, the historical norm. But yeah. if you're graduating, well, how- but, but but then you didn't really have you know mortgages as much back, and <clears> you know, people typically bought houses for cash because they didn't really. You look at the the size of the house we live in today versus back in the 1940s and 50s. Well, I mean, I mean uh, you look back in the net last 40 years, Ira, and the average size house is a thousand square foot bigger. Average what people buy now. I understand that. But here's my point, though. Because my neighbor across the street from me, when I first moved into my house eight years ago, Mm -hmm. I had asked him, I'm like, Mike, can I ask you a personal question? I mean, I knew him like two months, maybe. Uh, He he said, sure. He never stopped you before. He said, sure. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, I'm in the business of asking personal (laughs) questions. I mean, what's more personal than your money? That's right. Um, I said, what's your pay for your house? Well, he had a grin from literally ear to ear. Uh huh. And he said, (laughs) $75,000. Oh, that's funny. And I was spending a whole lot more than that. Yeah. And he said, but my interest rate was 14%, and we never thought oh, we'd pay it off. Wow, yeah. He said, the interesting thing is about three years ago, we put a sunroof, a sunroom on our house, and we spent $200,000 for that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> more, well more than the house. But here's what I was getting to. Yeah. If you if you graduated college three four five years ago, uh-huh. your whole perspective of interest rates is two percent. Right, for sure, exactly three percent for yeah, mortgages. Exactly. So now that it's at the normal rate, oh, now it's too high. Right, 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 right. It, it's it's like anything you you know you it's like the like jumping in a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you put your leg in first. And then you put a little bit more of your leg in, and then all of a sudden, then you finally jump in, is, and you know you get used to it. We start to get used to whatever we got around us, and eventually, what'll happen is if it's going to be, you know, seven percent for long enough, we'll go, oh, well, this is just the norm. You know, people. So what you're saying, all right? So like, we stick our feet in. That's the student loan we take out, and then we graduate college, so we buy the car and. You know, now we got a whole leg in, and then we say, the, ah, the I just frog, might as well drive the, the right in and theory. just buy the house I can't afford. The frog theory. And now we're totally in debt. No, I'm just saying that, you know, <laughs> when we look at, at 7% interest rates, at all, you know, if, if it's long enough, that'll become the norm. But I think, you know, if you have some way of dealing with that in the short— No, I don't know that that's going to become the long-term norm, though. You know, and I say that simply just because, you know, demographics, it's uh, what—it was one point— um, we got to go to a break. I know <laughs> we got to do this, but did you, did you see that the growth in the population in the last year in the United States was 1.3 million was it? That was the growth in the population. So we're having an issue, you know, you look at that and go, that's a fraction of what it normally is. The growth in the population in the United States, 1 million of that. This will blow your mind. One million of that was immigration. One legal or illegal? It didn't say. Yeah. It didn't say. And that isn't even the point. The point is our birth rate. Is dropping. And so you look at that and go, if we don't, you know, if economically, you know, we don't have more growth in the population, that has a tendency to drive down interest rates because you have to have something to grow 
the population. And you know, that to me was fascinating when I saw that statistic. I thought, whoa, that is amazing. So, you know, you look at that and go, what, what, what would pr downward pressure on interest rates? That. You know, so we don't know what the future interest rates are going to be. But no. that, would be, that would be something that would put downward pressure on interest rates if that were to be the case. You're listening to the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, along with Evan Barnard and Ira Work. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning, tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get it initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. All right, we're back here on the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler, Evan Barnard, Ira Work. Okay, Ira, go ahead. What do you want to talk about? Well, one of the things, you know, we're, and we do a lot of um, talking about the Investor Coaching Show. And a lot of times what we're doing is we're talking about just the news that's going on and thinking about, well, really, how is that the coaching part? And one of the things that we teach our clients when they come in is about myths, myths of investing. Mm -hmm. So what is a myth? Anybody? What's a myth? A story made up to explain the phenomenon beyond the science of the day. Right. <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> we're so used to hearing myths, right? Like I'm a walking dictionary. You are. You're really good, Paul. <laughs> I should, I might, maybe I should come more for you. I'll take myths for 400, <laughs> Alex. <laughs> so... One, you know, one of the myths that you hear people all the time with the little kids, right? It's like practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice but makes perfect. No, it does not. Oh, okay. No, no, think <laughs> Somebody about, said that to me. I heard that before right, someplace. No, I've heard it, it too, and that's why I'm saying I, I'm, that I'm is I'm a confused. myth. If you really think about it, <laughs> because I would say a professional basketball player mm -hmm. practices perfectly how to make baskets from the foul line. Mm -hmm. but they don't make every basket. That would be perfect. Yeah, nothing's perfect. A professional golfer. Okay, all right. All right? No, follow me on this. All right. So practice doesn't make perfect because if you're practicing the wrong thing, then... Well, that's why they say perfect practice. Right. Yeah, so that's why so they add So perfect practice doesn't make perfect. No, it doesn't it because makes, you can't get perfect. But anyway. It makes progress. Okay, I'll, t I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Who it's says it's this? not about the destination. It's about the journey. Right. You get, make it better and better and better. Okay. And I was thinking about that with like baseball. Okay. The pitcher has coaches. They're going to probably practice perfect pitches, which, which means getting it a strike every time, but they don't. The batter practices, you know, the, all the baseball players practice batting. Okay. Well, if they're practicing perfectly, then they would get, they would hit every time, but... 
They just okay. strike out. All right, keep going. So, so, so what? Okay. Another one of the myth of myth was now we know it's not a myth today, but years ago, it was about a story made up to explain the phenomenon beyond the science of the day. You used to believe the earth was flat. Now, if you're from California, you may still believe that, but. Oh, wow. That, you know, there are people that still believe the earth is flat. We know it's not. Right. We used to believe the sun revolved around the earth. We know that doesn't happen. Right. Within, because you messed us up. Within investing, <laughs> there is also myths. And one of the myths is track record. Mm-hmm. Buying funds based on past performance. Mm-hmm. Well, these managers did great. So, therefore... I'm going to invest with these managers. Look at the one, the three, the five-year performance, and, you know, you're going to see where the skill is. Right. So I'm just going to use the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. So if you went back to 2003 to 2012, okay. a 10-year period, okay, there were 3,896 mutual funds. 3,900? 896. 896. Okay. The top 30, which is not even 1%, mm-hmm. had an annualized return of 18%. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be happy with 18% That's of my good. portfolio for 10 years, right? A year for 10 years? Right. All right. The S&P 500 averaged what, Evan? Do you know? 8.8. Over that time period? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he didn't even give you a chance to guess. Nah, I didn't know if he would. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he has no faith in you. <laughs> okay. So what, do you, what, Warren, and you probably experienced this with, you know, your people that come in. Yeah. To, when they they show you what they have in their 401k and for the first time, right, you're looking at it, and what did they yep. buy? Large U.S. Right. The areas of the market that went up. Yeah. Okay. And if you came in in January of 2013 and the went to one advisor and the advisor said, well, I'm recommending these funds. This is what they did for the past 10 years. They yeah. did 18%. And you went into another advisor and they said, well, we, we use the S&P 500. You know, it did 88 what do you think most people would gravitate to? I, I want those people with skill, obviously. Right. Yes. For the next 10 years, what do you think the top 30 managers did? The uh, ones that did. So what was the period of time again? 2013 to 2022. Uh, four and a half. <clears throat> yeah, I would say, yeah, I was going to say somewhere in the neighborhood of three. All right. They actually did 10.2. They did 10.2. Wow. Oh, was it? Okay. So it was, uh, so they were in the asset. Okay. So the asset category would have driven that. So I didn't know what the asset okay. category was. All right. And anyway, and the then what, what S&P 500 during that time period did 13.7. Okay. All right. So we would tend to call that. So you that lost about 3% per year. Which, 3.5% you know, a year for 10 years. Yeah. That could be a substantial amount oh, of money. About 40, 40, 40%. I don't know. What would that be? I, I'd be curious what the difference, but you, you, you don't have to, I'll, I'll figure out what you're talking. Yeah, Go ahead. But when you think about that, the myth is that finding funds that did well in the past is a reliable method of finding funds that do well in the future. Mm-hmm. And that is the way the industry taught me to sell mutual funds. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that how you learned? It is. And, uh, you know, it was interesting, uh, back when I was on the dark side, I went up to Chicago, uh, on whatever it is, 2.30 or 6.30 West Wacker, where Morningstar was. Uh-huh. And went to a conference there in Morningstar's building of how to use their software to find funds that had good track records mm-hmm. so that I could quickly show the best performance to a prospective investor. 
Yeah, and I remember watching a video of the president or CEO of Morningstar. Mm-hmm. And he made the comment, you should not be buying funds based upon the stars. Right. But yet, that's the way they <laughs> teach you to use the software, how to find the five-star funds right. and the four-star funds. And that's what you sell because why? Everybody wants a winner. Yeah. And they think these are the guys who will continue to do it. And that's the myth, one of the myths of investing. Mm-hmm. And it's... And, and it's and it's it's a difficult one to break people of because it, in their instincts and their emotions are completely aligned with it. The part of the brain that actually makes decisions faster than the front lobe is the yeah. one that is appealed to. Yeah. And, you know. So what we do is we often make decisions. We live kind of you know we we live in kind of a cloud. I was listening to somebody today and and the, the exercise so that they gave was I want you to think about the next week what i want you to do this is an exercise to take a, a notepad with a pen and i want you to walk around over the next week and imagine that your eyes are a video camera taking in information and you're processing it and try as best you can to not filter it through your kind of your belief systems and your background and your history it's impossible mm-hmm. right it's just impossible to do it, but it's said, just try the best you can to be objective in everything that you look at. And I thought, you know, that's a really good exercise because I think you would learn a lot about yourself. And, you know, it was giving an example of uh, this. This has nothing to do with finance, but it was funny <laughs> about ta- a guy asking a girl out for a date. Well, that has it says you ask finance. a girl out for a date and he says, now you may get turned down, but you don't know what's going on in her mind. You might be too tall, and she's got a bad experience with a, a tall person from her past. Right. You may be a Pisces. You know, she might be, you know, maybe thinking that that matters for some reason or another. Or you may have, and just gave a lot of things that would be visual and just how it triggers something from the past. And, and she so, doesn't know why she's saying no either. She has no idea right. why she's saying right. no. And we have no idea why we're choosing funds so often. Right. It may be the name of the stupid fund. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be, you know, the tracker. It may be somebody, a friend of ours owned that fund. And then we trust that friend of ours. And we don't know that they don't know anything. It's we're driven by so many things that are subconscious and psycho- in, in our psychology that we just don't recognize how easily we are pulled off track in the midst of investing. You know, the reality of it is we try as best we can to appeal to people's cognitive part of their brain to hopefully have that overwhelm or override, if we can, the instinctual and the emotional part of our brain, which is modified and magnified by the media. And that is the idea behind it. Really good one. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.
Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.